We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this, which is the first episode of the, the new year, 2021, uh, I'm delighted to be joined once again by William Kajani, the political bettings analyst for Star Sports Betting to discuss the Georgia Senate runoff elections. Welcome back to the podcast, William. I'm very pleased to be back. A happy new year to all of your listeners. May 2021 be better than the last year. Indeed. And uh, as we, um, when you were last on, we discussed at length the, the, the previous year and all of its uh, foibles. So hopefully uh, this year will be better. Um, to begin with, for those listeners who aren't aware or, or, or not um, uh, fully aware of, of US electoral law, or maybe confused thinking, well, I thought the Senate elections were happening at the same time as the US presidential elections. Uh, why are the Georgia Senate runoffs happening? So they're happening because no candidates in the November elections, because um, basically when you vote for president, when you have a presidential election, it's not just for the president. Um, there are hundreds of down-ballots races um, for Congress and for the Senate, and no candidate got 50% in the November election. So as such, because no candidate won 50% of the vote, runoffs are necessary and they have been triggered not the first time i should add in 2008 there was a runoff as well Mm. um and uh, this uh, election is particularly interesting because we're seeing two senate uh, runoffs we're seeing a race between um david perdue and john ossoff and Raphael warnock and kelly loffler um so what are the betting odds at the moment for either of those um, races? Are we seeing the uh, people betting on it leaning more towards the Republicans or, or the Democrats? What, what are the betting markets suggesting? The market is leaning Republican, which is understandable for reasons that we'll go into later. Um, we started the Republicans as favourites. We still got them as favourites. Let me give you the prices for the special election first. Kelly Leffler is 8.15 to win, and Raphael Warnock is 11 to 8. Um, to put those into percentage terms, because sometimes people find that easier, Leffler is a 65.3% chance, and Warnock is a 42% chance. Of course, I should just say the caveat here is, of course, people have bet on these markets. They do move the odds. So liabilities, et cetera, have to be taken into account. But the market makes Leffler the favourite. In the regular election, the Republican Dave Perdue is favourite once again. He is one to two, that's 66.6%. And John Ossoff, the Democratic challenger, is six to four, 40%. Um, we also have prices for the overall control of the Senate after this. Um, five to two on that the Republicans have majority control of the Senate. Um, and for a split ticket, which basically I think would be Democrats winning both of these races, we are 19 to 10, 30, which is 34%. So long story short, Republicans are favoured, but Democrats um, are given a reasonable chance of pulling off two upsets as the market sees it. Um, now let's just put these races in context. 
um, they will essentially decide, as you mentioned, who um, controls the majority in the Senate. Now, for listeners, could you explain why that is so important? Um, why control of the Senate, whether it be Republican or Democrat, will really um, uh, decide the, the balance of how uh, uh, power goes for the next uh, couple of years? Absolutely. So there are, of course, as most people know, um, there are three branches, basically, of government. And the legislature is really, really important. Now, of course, you have the president um, and you have a Democratic president. The Democrats have a majority in the House of Congress. Um, but these two results will decide control of the Senate. Why this is so important? Well, bills need to pass both the Senate and the House to become law. And of the many things on Joe Biden's plate, um, there are, let's be honest, very few where he won't need support from either Congress or the Senate. So it's looking uphill for the Democrats um, to win both in Georgia, we'll go on to that later, but let's imagine that they do, that's 50 senators. The Senate is basically tie-broken by the vice president, that's Kamala Harris. So if the Democrats could get 50 senators, they'd have effective control of the Senate, and that would give Biden a lot more power than he has now, um, where you're likely to have deadlocked government. So this is really, really important because um, we're at a crucial era in the US's history, um, coming through the middle of a pandemic, of course, um, with substantial reforms, many would say needed in several areas of US public life, um, with also the climate um, change on the horizon, which is going to be very important, um, considering that Biden wants to get the US back to the Paris Agreement, and also lots of other issues that are being masked by COVID at the moment. Um, I'm thinking especially of many foreign policy issues, um, an approach to the EU, approach to China, approach to Britain, etc. All of those things are far, far harder to do with a deadlock government. Um, now, let's look at the races individually. First of all, I'd like to focus on the, the special election runoff between Rafael Warnock and um, Kelly Loeffler. And how important do you think um, the accusations of insider uh, trading against um, the uh, Republican candidate, Kelly Loeffler, will be uh, to the race? Do you think that that's why on um, election night, though it, you know, obviously we didn't see a, a definitive result, Rafael Warnock seem to be ahead of her. Do you think that that's going to be um, one of the, the, the central issues when people come to um, vote? I do think it's important. I think it's important on a number of levels. Um, firstly, it's just motivating factors. Um, generally speaking, in local elections, big media stories can be a really useful way to... Um, energize people to turn out. I'm using a rather grim example here, but um, Roy Moore, do you remember Roy Moore? Yeah, of course. Um, yes, um, back in the days when we were sort of in the thick of um, the Trump phenomenon of takeover of the Republican Party, um, Roy Moore, of course, was accused of many historic abuses. Now, I know it's very grim, but it definitely did change the race. And there's no doubt, I don't think, that it was a powerful motivating factor for women to come out and vote against him. Um, it's possible, I think, without that, that the race would have been definitely a lot closer and that he might also have 
possibly held on. It somebody like Roy Orr um, usually would have a better chance of winning in that state. I very very scared now that I've gone his state role. Um, but moving back on to the Leffler and Warnock story, I think it has had an effect, um, namely in the sense that it makes a good TV ad material. Um, that sort of campaigning has a big effect, I think, in US politics in general, but also especially in an era where particularly Democrats aren't usually having these sort of big political gatherings for obvious reasons. Um, so having a story that gives Warnock something to attack Leffler with, but also that makes for good TV ad fodder and also that can sometimes put Leffler on the defensive is useful. I should add though, Interestingly, I haven't heard all that much about the trading post-election. Mm. It feels like it was a bigger story in the lead-up to November the 3rd than the other way around. Mm. Um, now, what do you think is going to be the role of um, religion in this race? Because, of course, Raphael Warnock has, um, for many years, for about 15 years now, I think, um, been a, a pastor at a Baptist church in Atlanta, do you think that religion is going to be uh, a strong element in this race and that it may influence the result at all? Yeah, yeah um, I absolutely do. I think, if anything, it already has. Um, it's brought many racial issues to the surface. Um, and there's also, I know that I said race rather than religion, but um, bear with me here because it's important um, in terms of understanding the background here. Um, and there are differences between the white and black church in the South that are centuries old, which are really coming to the form. Um, so Leffler, and I think this is important to mention, um, she really, really does not like um, what Warnock has to preach. Uh, Warnock preaches from the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Leffler literally thinks it's a threat to capitalism, to the American way of life. And that is the sort of messaging, that sort of high stakes messaging that Republicans will be using to try and increase turnout um, because we've had an awful lot of early voting turnout again in Georgia. Um, we're at 38.8%, which is a record for Senate runoff elections. Um, we're in the end game now. These results, I think, will come on the... Well, the voting day is the fifth, the last day of voting. Um, and we're in, I think, for another repeat of November in the sense that Republicans will vote more on the day. Um, Democrats probably have voted more already. Um, and issues such as religion um, are really, really important for that because the Republicans' best line of attack in November, and this was everywhere down ballot, was to suggest that um, even if you didn't want to vote for Donald Trump, um, and many people didn't, you didn't want to vote for down-ballot Democrats because they were radical liberals, they were radical leftists, they were wolves in sheets clothing who would basically implement some form of communism if they got control of um, the branches in the White House. A very popular line of attack was that Biden was a basically puppet president in waiting um, to be sort of played with by the squad, you know, Alexandria, Classic, Cortez, etc. What? No, I'm making a long point here, but it's important when you come back to Georgia because Biden won um, nationally by about four or five points, not a landslide, I don't think, but, compre but pretty comprehensive. 
he edged George by less than a percent. That stuff matters. Um, and the reason that religion matters here is basically because Warnock's um, beliefs have been targeted a lot by Leffler. And you have a split, basically, between churchgoers who may be angrier to America as a country, may feel that they've got less out of the American experience. And then you've got people like Leffler, who will basically want to present a vote for themselves as the essential defence of God and country. So religion plays a big part in American politics. Um, I, you could argue it tipped uh, the previous election before November 2020, and I think it will. I think it already has again. But just how we don't quite know. Um, there seems to be reasonably good voting numbers for the Democrats based on what we've seen. But just quickly to end this point, um, Leffler's route to victory and the Republicans' route to victory will probably be by scaring enough people I'd have thought to turn out in numbers on the day, even if they believe the election was stolen from them, which is a, another point to make. Mm. Now, you talk about scaring voters. That What sort of um, scare tactics do you think that they are going to use? Do you think this is going to link at all to the um, the conspiracy theories that um, Donald Trump has still been uh, propagating that the election was um, stolen by Democrats? Are those the sort of like scare tactics you're thinking of? Yes. Um, well, not necessarily those as scare tactics um, because those tactics don't help Republicans. Um, if anything, actually, there's been a sort of worry in the GOP that... Trump's repeated assertions that the election was unfair have really spread out to voters nationwide, Republican voters. This is a problem when it comes to the Senate elections because why would you vote if you believe that your vote doesn't count or the election will just be stolen? Mm. Um, and when you see the amounts of Republicans that do believe the election wasn't free or fair, you've got a problem. Um, in terms of scare tactics, I think the line of attack that was used in November will be the one that's used this time around, which is namely that you can't trust Democrats as a whole with control of the Senate and the House. You don't want them setting your laws. You don't want them in charge of the federal government, in charge of spending, etc. And you really also don't want um, radical leftists to be essentially puppeteering Joe Biden. Mm. So... I think we know the line of attack. It's simple. It proved effective in November. Um, whether it will prove as effective this time around remains to be seen, but it's certainly, I think, a big problem for the Democrats to overcome, especially Warnock. Although that said, in the polling, um, they're holding up just fine in the polling. Um, now, I'd like to turn um, to the uh, regular election runoff between um, David Perdue and John Ossoff. Now, one of the things that has been very much um, part of this campaign, unfortunately, has been anti-Semitism against um, John Ossoff, um, quite often propagated by um, Republican opponents. How much do you think that that is going to impact um, the result of the race? And also, what similarities or differences do you see between the way that anti-Semitism has invaded American politics and the way that, um, as we talked about um, last time we, we spoke, the way it has impacted on um, UK politics? Um, those are really good questions. I think um, anti-Semitism 
has always been a scourge. And I think it's something we've seen a resurgence of recently. When I say resurgence, I mean increasing, mm. um, to be very clear, in public life on both sides of the Atlantic. It seems to me that it wasn't as prevalent in the US in terms of being a political issue. I think probably because, um, even though there have been plenty of anti-Semitic comments made by members of both parties, no leader has been explicitly um, called out as anti-Semitic or having anti-Semitic connections. I also don't know if that's even a charge that you'd get to stick, really, against um, anybody in the upper echelons of the Democratic Party. Um, you know, I, I think plenty of people tell you Trump is anti-Semitic. I haven't heard anything in that vein about Leffler or Purdue. Mm. Um, so whilst I think it's an issue and support for Israel has always been an issue when it comes to intellectual and foreign policy, um, my feeling is that other religious concerns like Christianity, namely, would be ahead of it. And I think whilst it's something to watch out for um, always, I imagine, I imagine it won't be the first line of debate for either side. Hmm. Um, now, we've talked quite a bit about some of the um, shifts in terms of um, people voting and uh, the political makeup of Georgia, not just on this podcast, but on previous uh, episodes of the podcast. And of course, Joe Biden winning Georgia was very much seen as a, a major upset and the first Democrat to um, win Georgia for quite a while. How much do you think that this election will be seen in the future as the moment when the um, political battlegrounds uh, of the US changed and, and shifted and the political certainties diverged from what they had been previously? That's a really good question. And I think the answer is that it will be seen as... I mean, I think in the next five, ten years or so, it will be seen as pivotal. But if you go a bit further than that, it will probably be seen as nothing more than a sort of steady change. We've had moments of steady change in terms of the racial makeup of the US as a whole. Um, but we're already seeing it, or we're already seeing it, I think, really ramp up in this particular part of the country. And certainly, actually in states that have been always traditionally Republican. Um, you know, the reason I think that we're going to get some state-by-state -state results that aren't seen as huge surprises is because we're seeing these states evolve in terms of their racial background. And when I say evolve, I mean just change, basically. Um, Texas, for instance, is not as white a state as many people would presume. Um, it's changed quite a lot since 2000 um, and since the 80s before that. Um, in Georgia, black eligible voters have accounted for nearly half the electorate's growth since 2000. Um, and, you know, that's an increase of 1.9 million voters. Nearly half of that has been attributed to black eligible voters. So the demographics are changing and, in theory and I think we have seen this borne out a little bit, that changes the stakes for both the Democrats and the Republicans. And I think it definitely gives Democrats a slight advantage here. 
in the sense that this is just more favourable turf than it was in 2008 and 2004, that, and in the year before that, and the year before that, etc. Now we're coming to the end um, of the podcast, and um, obviously we've been discussing Georgia, but also, you know, in a few days we're going to be seeing uh, Joe Biden inaugurated as president. So just turning um, to him for a moment as my final question to you, what do you think when Joe Biden assumes the presidency will be the top three things on his list to do? Number one, coronavirus vaccination program. He needs to get it out fast. He needs to get it out as fast as possible. Um, we have really bad numbers here. Um, in America, I think they're matching us in terms of per 100,000 population. And I think a lot more people are dying over there. Um, unfortunately. So number one priority, roll out the vaccine, do it as fast as physically possible. Um, I've already heard talk about Biden utilising the Defence Production Act to create vaccines and deliver them to the states. Um, the US, by the way, has a lot of vaccines on order. Um, it's bought heavily, obviously, through Operation Warp Speed. Mm. That would be number one. Number two, we'll be getting some sort of uniform national consensus on restrictions and what to do. Um, because it's out of control there. And it's going to be worse by the time Biden gets in before it gets better. Um, I think one of Biden's big challenges will be to utilise the power of the American state. And it's a mighty, mighty power um, as efficiently and as quickly as possible, um, basically in the way that other nations have been able to do. Even the UK government has done a better job in terms of utilising state power um, to combat coronavirus. That'll be Biden's number two prerogative. Um, number three is a tricky one. I know I can only have three. I think it's going to be reconnecting on the international stage. I think Biden is going to spend a lot of time just reversing things Trump did. Um, so re-entering the Paris Climate Accords. Um, renegotiating or re-entering into the Iran deal, I think is close to the top of his list. How viable that might be, I don't know. Um, getting a China strategy is going to be really important. Um, there is not a huge amount of discussion about this um, in terms of like, you know, normie political circles, but mm. if you're an even middling to large nation, you need a China strategy yesterday. Um, one that accepts... Um, not morally, but one that accepts that the Chinese state will act with impunity in some areas because of their size and their scope, um, but one also that looks at options for divergence from China um, in certain areas of like manufacturing, whatever, and one also that basically makes decisions about your strategy for the next few years. Um, that's going to be, I think, the, one of the big foreign policy stories of the next decade, um, I'd be very surprised if Biden and his team haven't done a lot of thinking about it, but mm. that would be my third thing. Well, I think that that's a, certainly a, a list that I would have picked. And obviously we will have to just wait and see um, what happens. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, William. If anybody isn't following you, I mean, they should already uh, be, but just in case uh, they aren't, uh, how can they follow you and how can they find out uh, more about you? Um, I'm on Twitter at... Capital K double E J A Y O V two. So K J O V two. Um, I'm sure you'll see it in the tag for this 
podcast, but that's where I am on Twitter. Uh, my work can be found by going to www.starsportsbets.co.uk. Um, hopefully, we'll have a couple of political things up there as well. And last but never least, um, starsports.bet slash politics is where you'll find the odds for the Georgia Senate races and many more. We hope to have lots of political markets for the year. Um, if you have any suggestions, please do let me know. We're always open to new ideas. Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.